My armies will not stand down. I will not pull them back to the capital. I will march them north to fight alongside you in the Great War. The darkness is coming for us all. We'll face it together. And when the Great War is over, perhaps you'll remember I chose to help. With no promises or assurances from any of you. Call our banners. All of them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Podcast Has No Name. Today, I am joined by Michelle. Hello. John. Hey. Emma. Hi. Gaz all the way down in Australia. Hello. And Lucy in Thanet. Hi. <laughs> Less glamorous in Australia. And I'm your host, Len. Just a quick warning, we're going to be spoiling everything from the season seven finale. We'll also be spoiling minor book knowledge because at this point it's just so far gone there's way past the books now but we'll try and give a little bit of hints here and there of some books and book knowledge so if you don't want to hear anything about books feel free to not listen but it's nothing major okay guys what did we think about that episode michelle what do you reckon to that episode oh i think it tied up a lot of the things that were opened during the um the season so far so um a lot of questions were closed down and it's prepared it for the next season to just be a big bloodbath after that ending that last scene I think this is it now it's the end we're in the end game mm. it, there's there's not much else <laughs> to really think think about other than those guys breaking through the wall but John what did you reckon it's pretty cool wasn't it um, I've been pretty critical uh, of this season negative if you will yeah. uh, I absolutely loved that episode I loved it uh, I can't most of it I'll have a go at some stuff in fact it'll probably just come across me having a go at everything yeah I mean I've got to concur it was awesome wasn't it it was a great episode but um, I think that the most important event that happened in this episode was confirmation that Clegane Bowl is on it's fucking on <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's on uh, so that's, that's definitely happen, happening, which is good. Um, the other thing that was excellent, I guess there were, there were just a few kind of really cool moments and um, Theon's character arc coming, you know, he's, he's fully redeemed now, isn't he? It was um, the redemption of mm. Theon Greyjoy. Mm. Uh, book, book version of Jamie decided to enter the fray, which was yes. good. Mm. Also... <clears throat> Undead Dragon, which is the scariest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Pretty terrifying. Mm. Pretty terrifying. And what do you reckon? Um, Again, I entirely concur. Awesome season finale. Um, I thought it was some really interesting recurring themes throughout (coughs) the episode as well. Um, A lot around family, a lot of reunions, and a lot about pride and oaths, which I thought Mm. was really interesting. Mm. Um, But yeah, I agree with Gareth. That was the most terrifying thing ever. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I thought probably the best of the season. Um, What I liked most about it was that it was actually less action than some of the the previous episodes we've had and a lot more plot development. So a lot of very important things happened. I'm not going to go through them all like Gareth and just give away the whole episode. (laughs) Yes, lots of important resolutions and revelations and yeah I think the emphasis on plot and character rather than action um harkened back to the glory days of Game of Thrones and I really enjoyed it I think I agree with what you guys were saying I think this was I think it's the best season finale they've ever done like if you just think about because usually episode 10 is you know like we say they're getting all the pieces ready for the next season um usually it's kind of a bit slower than this there's been actually so so much that happened in this episode and just to see as many characters as we did interact with each other mm. um, that we have been thinking about how they would interact for so long um, I just thought it's the best season finale they've, they've ever done to be honest with you and it made the mistakes of last week worth it because although I think we, we all disagree with the silly plan <coughs> and it is a silly plan still no matter what happens and I think we're kind of proved right by the fact that what Cersei does in this episode. But I think um, 
the fact that the fact they went through all that to get to this amazing episode, I think, is, is, is justified it. And I'll forgive yeah. I'll forgive them for the misstep and to say this was totally worth it. So that's all good. Mm. Well, I think we should just jump right into it and get into a, a scene by scene recap. So the first scene opens with Grey Worm and the Unsullied uh, surrounding the uh, King's Landing. Um, and you have Jamie on and uh, Bron on the walls of King's Landing looking down and the Dothraki come in all cool. I mean, John, what did you reckon to that opening scene? <clears throat> it was, uh, I was a little bit confused at first. It was kind of like, where are we? What's going on here? Uh, the last time we saw Grey Worm, yeah. he's at Castle Rock mm. and uh, they've been absolutely gazumped. Yeah, I mean, that, that confused me slightly. Um that's got to have been expensive to film that what all the army yeah and then all the Dothraki on the on the horses and stuff yeah. and so they, they just do... recreate it though don't they CGI yep. and it's like even still like, yeah that, that costs money yeah I'd rather see a bit of Ghost to be honest yeah we were been missing the whole R.I.P. Ghost still missing still missing action Ridiculous. one day he will have a scene and it will be amazing so Em what did you think about uh, the amount I mean, I didn't realise, I mean, and a lot of people might not realise at the moment, but, like, Danny has a lot of resources at her disposal. Like, even just looking out and seeing the Unsullied there, and then the Dothraki come in, I mean, she must have about 100, 120,000 men. Well, yeah, I mean, not to interrupt, but do they not die? Like... <laughs> That number stays consistent. They never seem to diminish in number. Mm. Um, But having said that, if you think about the last time we saw the Dothraki, what, two episodes ago, Mm. I don't think anyone died. No. No, they're pretty lethal. I mean, like, I think that that episode showed that, you know, the Dothraki, and Jamie even says it the following episode, they they don't, in an open field, like we said, like Robert used to say, no no one can beat them in an open field. Like, (laughs) Michelle, what did you reckon to John and Tyrion on the boat having a little chat before they go into the, uh, before they get to the city. Uh, what did you reckon to that chat? I think um, John was very interested in how many people are in King's Landing. Said, mm. They said a million. What do you reckon, what do you reckon he's thinking when he's talking about that? Well, I suppose there's duality to it, really. So there's the thing where he's considering what Danny was saying with regards to not wanting to burn everybody and how many people would have perished if that had been the way that they'd gone with the dragons and stuff and how much... Um, he'd want to be able to, you know, actually preserve humanity and all that shit. Mm. Um, but in addition to that, as well as probably thinking about what will happen or how many people will die when the dead eventually do come south, because I mean, I'm assuming he's thinking that that is what is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then also from that, how many people could potentially join the dead army mm. to continue fighting? Yeah, yeah definitely. <clears throat> I definitely. I definitely think that's what he's getting at. I think John is very sort of... <laughs> Laser focused at the moment, slightly wavers with Danny, but he's quite la- <laughs> quite laser focused in his in his goal. They all land, they all on the way to the dragon pit, uh, and there is a couple of really great interactions that happen on this little um, this little journey to the dragon pit. Lucy, what did you think yes. about um, Pod and Tyrion reuniting, which I thought was lovely, and then secondly, uh, Brienne and the Hound having a, a chat. What did you reckon to those? Pod and Tyrion, as you say, that was quite a nice little moment. They didn't think they'd see each other again because this is Game of Thrones and everybody dies. Yeah. But the yeah, the Hound and Brienne, that was a nice moment. There was a grudging respect there, especially from him. You could see that that's probably the only person that's ever bested him in a fight. Mm. Um, and yeah, you could just see a little a glance between them. And like, that made me think, what would Tormund think if he was there? Some little love <laughs> triangle between the three of them. Well, you're missing out Jamie as well. Oh, God, yeah, and Jamie. Love <sighs> Square. So what did you think about um, the idea? They were chatting about the dragon pit. They're on the way to the dragon pit, which I think is, we, we sort of discussed a couple of episodes ago, would be a cool place to meet. Um, haven't seen it in the show before, but it's talked quite a lot about in the books. Do you, do you think that people understand that, like, why the dragons died out and why the Targaryens potentially lost power. They were quite specific about the dragon pit itself mm. being a problem because, you know, they, they've they said in the past they grow to, their, to the size of their surroundings and whatever. But yeah. um, it was more about the idea that these dragons are these wild, like, untamable beasts mm. and you're trying to control them and that was the problem, I guess. That's what, that's what killed them off was that um, 
the the control that they try to exert over them and then there's that inextricable link between the dragons and the targaryens which um you know eventually led to the to the the downfall of the targaryen family yeah um and i thought it was it's quite interesting when you think about sort of maybe there's some parallels there with the starks and their direwolves as well oh yeah definitely yeah i haven't really thought about that but that's definitely definitely true yeah maybe like recent history but uh, the targaryens were built on dragons yeah the starks took the direwolf as their like sigil sigil yeah like their their banner i guess yeah but they're not known to it's not like they're growing direwolves in winterfell well no, but they still but, had it they still have that affinity that yeah. natural affinity with them don't they but nobody yeah. else yeah does. but the, the, the targaryens seized power because of the dragons yeah and they seized power from the starks uh in the north i guess uh, obviously yeah uh, Torrin Stark Torrin Stark when he bent the knee yeah. yeah he bent the knee because of the dragons yeah. like uh, the northerners were never strong or at least the Starks were never strong because of the dire wolves mm. um, but, but, but go on. maybe <laughs> the Stark history goes back we think like tens of thousands of years I mean we, we know that the Targaryens came from Valyria and then they came across so recent Westerosi history of the Targaryens is only about 350 years old or something but yeah, but, but, but the Stark the Stark history goes back literally tens of you know 10,000 years to, yeah, to, 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 to maybe even Brandon the Builder and all these people so so they might have had you know when magic was more prevalent in Westeros they might have had this connection to the direwolves that might have been more important like <clears throat> imagine if they could control packs of wolves I mean I, mean, I we're, just, we're just rolling on this now but I think you know the Starks, I think that's a stretch it's a stretch but you, they've obviously got some sort of connection that comes from somewhere in their blood yeah. well, to these animals walking well yeah, yeah exactly. is, it, is it that much of a stretch if you've got two people I mean obviously one of them is dead now but in that family who are able to walk yeah and in the books well, in the books they all can yeah. all can and, and Sansa I think she has a dream about the wolf but I think Sansa's the only <laughs> uh, only one that doesn't dream like in her in a wolf state mm. yeah maybe yeah. and and they say that's maybe because uh, her wolf lady was killed very early on and she never mm. got to develop that bond with her yeah. I think the, the comparison is interesting um, I think it is a bit of a stretch in terms of the power but the comparison yeah. itself you know, I mean look, look, look wol- wolves aren't going to win, win you the country like dragons dragons are like the equivalent of a nuclear bomb in, in, in Westeros they're, you know, they're, they're weapons of mass destruction but it's just interesting that they've got this connection to another natural being do you think it's possible for Bran to walk into one of the dragons yeah, yeah. there was a long running theory of the three heads of the dragon and everyone believed that there were three dragons and three people were going to ride the dragons and we said last week how everyone believed that um that Tyrion was going to be a Targaryen, so he would ride the other dragons. So it'd be John, Danny, and Tyrion riding the three dragons. After last week's episode and this episode, and this episode where we see that Danny's only got two dragons, obviously she's lost one now. Everyone sort of has got rid of the three three-headed dragon. However, people did think that Bran, with his walking powers, could potentially be the third head of the dragon. If you think about the idea of Bran walking into a dragon, you think, now we've got the dead dragon. That mm. could be a way of taking power back away from yeah. the Night King. Yeah. yeah, but can't the Night King also walk? And then would there then be walk battle? No, there's no evidence that the Night King I, can Yeah. I mean, but I, he can control. I don't know if he can yeah. actually walk. I think he has to mm. physically commune with... with <laughs> Is that sex? Or? <laughs> it's, night, it's Night King sex, bro. It's Night King oh, sex. Yeah. Okay, right, let's, wow. let's move on. So they enter the dragon pit, and the dragon pit looked absolutely amazing. Everyone sort of sits down and sort of there's a little there's literally about a minute of awkward sort of looks at everyone and where's Danny, where's Danny? And then obviously she comes on the dragon. We've talked a lot about reunions and I think that mm. minute of awkward silence wasn't awkward because you got the opportunity to see everybody's reactions to each other where they haven't mm. seen each other in such a long time, which I think is one of the best parts of this episode. Mm. But we all agree that Danny was just showing her power there and did anyone think that Cersei looked genuinely like you know I'm fucked here when she saw the dragons for the first time I did think that there was like a flicker of fear 
and I almost like Cersei didn't quite believe the dragons. So she'd heard it, but I feel like she's so arrogant that she won't believe anything until she sees it. I did like how Jamie, as soon as he heard the wind beats, was up and freaking out because he has experienced what the dragons can do. PTSD. And he's actually seen the desolation they can cause. Um, so I did like that little touch of him mm. being like almost instinctively like wanting to run for cover yeah. i think you saw a flicker of fear but she she hit it pretty soon after lena Headey deserves like every award going she's unbelievable she, she but like she i think i actually i was laughing but i think um you could tell that she was scared and had respect and disdain toward like all of those things were were within that look weren't they yeah i think um I think Lena Headey, I mean, as much as people hate Cersei, it's like when we hate Joffrey. She's a fabulous Joff- actress. Yeah, when we, hate, when we hated Joffrey and we hate these characters, they sell it so well. Like, Le- Lena Headey, I mean, there was a lot of chat that she's not the Cersei from the books, but that's not her fault. That's the way the scripts are written. She's done an amazing job at, at mm. what she's doing. I think she's, this season, probably the most consistent. Her and John, I think John's been extremely consistent. I think her and John are very, very consistent. But there was just one thing that I just think we just need to get out of the way. Just need to get out of the way because I know we're all massive fans. Game Bowl. So before the negotiations, before the negotiations, before the negotiations even begin, the Hound goes up to the mountain, uh, Gregor Cogain, and that has Joffrey's face. That has Joffrey's face. Absolutely does. Mate, I'm Joffrey's starting face. to believe it more and more no that it might have Joffrey's way. face. Never say we didn't see it. To be honest. Um, and he says, "You know how it ends for you, brother. I'm coming for you." And I was just like, "Oh snap! It is on. Clegane Bowl is on more than ever." I know we didn't get this episode, but it is happening. They would not have had that little interaction if it's not going to happen. Does Why it- did he say that though? The game bowl. The game bowl. They need to go. It's fan service. It's fan service. I mean, the tickets are sold out. You don't need to buy it anymore. <laughs> in in the books, you get a bit more. Um, you get a bit more knowledge about why Sandor the Hound, Sandor Clegane, hates the mountain. Gregor, when he's like five, and like the Hound is like three or four years old or something, grabs grabs his younger brother, which is the Hound's head, and puts it into a pit of fire like a, a fireplace it's a fireplace it's a fireplace yeah and and ever why, since why that because mo- he he's a maniac <laughs> basically ever since that point uh, the hound obviously hates Gregor Cobain he despises him throughout his whole life you get you get little bits of it here and there in the book and mm. that's why we're such big fans of them fighting you know to the death essentially um, now can I also add to this quickly mm. so right the reason that um, Joffrey's head is on the mountain's body. Remember, Dawn wanted the mountain's head. They sent the mountain's head to Dawn to I, say, like, yeah, right, he's dead. I don't disagree that in the book that's a massive possibility because I think they end up with a skull, don't they? A massive yeah, skull. they do. In the books, that could happen. It's just massively unlikely in the show. Lucy... Um, yes. What did you think about the whole uh, revealing revealing of the white when they brought the the hound carried the white up and then revealed it? Uh, what did you reckon to that whole okay. scene? My favourite part of that was the delight on Kyburn's face. He was like, mm. "Ooh, what's this yeah. being I can experiment on?" I love that. I thought that was a really good touch. Just mm. his he cleared, his creepiness of just like, hmm, yeah, like what plans do I have for this thing? Yeah, it was it was a really good reveal. And again, with Cersei, like genuine fright. Can I just say on this, uh, the revealing of the white mm. bit, wasn't it, like anyone else think that Hound, it was a little bit like he had a little magic show going? <laughs> <laughs> just needed some like music, like background music, like, and a top hat and stuff. Yeah, would have been perfect. So uh, Cersei actually genuinely looks terrified by the by what she mm. sees. For the first time, we see a bit of vulnerability from her. Um, she offers the truce. She does actually offer a truce here, and I don't know whether at this point it's genuine, but she says, as long as the king in the north refuses to take up arms against her, basically, after the truce. So, um, 
What do you guys think about that, Michelle? What do you reckon to that? And the fact that John refuses. Firstly, I thought it was interesting that no one else knew that John had already bent the knee. I mean, obviously Cersei wouldn't have known that, but why didn't mm. anyone else? There is a part of me when John did that that was like, dude, can you not just tell a porcupine? Come yeah. On. Like, your pride yeah. about being honest and sticking to your oath could potentially jeopardise well, the survival of your country. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else noticed this during the episode, but um, there, Ned Stark probably has the most mentions out of yeah. any episodes in season two maybe or something after he had died literally he's mentioned so many times by Arya by Sansa by John, by Cersei um, by, by Bran. Bran by uh, so many people and and I do think that this is like if you just go back and think about it Ned is the theme of the episode I, thought, I liked what John said as a response at the end of it where he was like if, if everyone keeps swearing to these oaths and not holding their promises, then the words mean nothing. And he's got a good point. Like, at the end of the day, you could do... It's all... that Everyone's a liar. There has to be someone who has some sort of... Moral compass. Moral compass. Agreed, yeah. And, if he, and if he had to just do that, I think, because he knows his father died. He knows his brother died because they were so honourable and they followed the letter of the law. He doesn't want... He has done things that aren't honourable and haven't followed the letter of the law. We know he can waver from time to time, but at his core, he is a good person who wants to do the right thing. And I thought that was a justified answer. I love the little callback to Ned. Uh, Brienne and Jamie towards the end of this yeah. scene Brienne's words about, you know, it's not about houses and yeah. honour and loyalty. So it's good. about living. I, I literally it's like you are just the best well he I almost repeated Brienne. it word for word at the end didn't he yeah yeah. Oh, we get onto that obviously, obviously yeah, yeah we'll get, we'll get and, and, and for Brienne it's a big reason to go oh she said fuck loyalty I mean Brienne is the most sort of like I must keep my oath I am the best mm. you know I'm a for her I, to say that it's yeah, a big deal for her to say that was amazing Jamie even was taken aback by it and I mm. think that's when he realises you know he knows it's serious Jamie is genuinely concerned he asked Danny how many she saw and she goes oh a hundred thousand at least and Jamie's face when he when he heard that information was like wow that is that's bad so obviously John sort of screwed it up for everybody by being honest which again again but But um, Tyrion has the idea that the only way to solve this is for him to go and speak to his sister in private, um, which we all think is absolutely lunacy because mm-hmm. she's been wanting to kill Tyrion for the last four seasons. Um, she hated Tyrion since the day he was born, uh, and it's just it's just crazy. But you know he's got to do it. John, what did you reckon to the Tyrion and Cersei scene? And before that, also, what did you reckon to Tyrion chatting to Jamie? It was good. It kind of convinced me that Tyrion could die. Mm. Um, it, it felt like that was potential for a last scene between Jamie and Tyrion. So when I watched that, I thought, well, actually, one of them could die in this episode. Yeah. So, and again, we'll, I guess we'll talk about the Jamie stuff later on, but. When uh, when Tyrion went into that conversation, and even like the door shutting, and uh, and the mountain behind him, and uh, not with Joffrey's head, um, you kind of look at him and you think, Jesus, man, this is like he's really going into the lion's den. But yeah, I I, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was. Um, sort of like kind of some of the best Tyrion scenes for a long time Uh, like massively underused and then suddenly it was quite emotional stuff Uh, I really liked it yeah that scene the acting was the best thing I've seen this season acting wise I I thought it was unbelievable and I I totally bought the sort of conversation they were having I did fear I fear for Tyrion yeah, when he was goading her, yes. he was goading her. He was like, "Come on, then." I've, I think I've thought about killing you my whole life. I, I'm. If it was me, you would have had a mother. You would have had a father. You would have mm. had your kids. And it, obviously, mm. he he doesn't believe that. I mean, he's just trying to goad her into yeah. into killing him. But but like, but but that's what we talk about when you talk about like character depth. Yes, like you can buy a scene yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, the conflict of emotions from yeah. all sides. Yeah, like uh, you watch that and you think like, you know, Cersei is uh, this massively annoying evil character but actually you kind of buy into that whole you know she's got a baby and 
you understand why she hates Tyrion. Yeah. Um, I mean, she does blame Tyrion for the death of her mother during childbirth, for the death of her father with a crossbow bolt. Well. 100% well, correct. Yeah, All yeah. these things are correct. Yeah. She believed for a long time that he killed Joffrey. We do believe that in the books. Mm. You know that she believed that he killed Joffrey yeah, yeah. because in her head, you read from her perspective in the books. Mm. Um, and essentially, that killing of Tywin, she's right, did sort of lead eventually, I mean, to the deaths of Tommen and Marcella. Mm. And he sent Marcella away to Dawn. Mm. Tyrion sent Marcella away to Dawn yeah. in season two. That was his idea to broker a peace between the Dornish and the Lannisters. So, it's a, you know, she's not wrong. Like, Tyrion is responsible in some way for the death of every it was member really of her good family. when she said about if Tywin was still here, like, no one would have dared touch Marcella or Tommen. And I thought a really good point and she's she is right yeah um but you could see almost mercy when she he was like basically as you say goading her mm. and she was just looking at him and then she just like looked away and it's like, like almost like she realized yeah he is still my brother like i actually yeah. don't have i don't have it in me to have him killed right now part of me thinks she wants to do it publicly but yeah there was a moment know. of yeah like you say she's very very nuanced whereas i think cersei yeah. could have just been like a bitch but she's made her into a three-dimensional character for sure her acting is yeah. like, exceptional i, mean, I yeah. think yeah she's she's played the game seriously there because yeah like she was chomping at the bit to have him killed there and then but it makes <laughs> much more sense tactically uh and again i, I guess we get onto this but um, she definitely still wants him dead. There is no compassion for Tyrion. No. Um, she absolutely... You can see she buys into the fact that Tyrion, when he talks about loving uh, Tommen and, yeah. and, and Marcella, mm. absolutely buy into that. And she accepts that, but she hates mm. him anyway. Right? It's, it's got nothing to do with uh, the kids, really. It's this obsession that she has that Tyrion is going to be her... Downfall. Uh, yeah. I have a theory that in this scene, or at the end of this scene, off screen, um, Tyrion maybe makes a promise to Cersei that her child might be next heir to the throne because he fully believes that Daenerys can't have kids. And wow. that is why Ooh. Cersei agreed. Like, yeah, again, we'll, we'll come to this in more detail, but that's why Cersei then came down and said, all right. I'll fight for you and I'll fight with you um, so Tyrion believes that he's convincing her he's giving her a reason to fight yeah. um, and that reason is that her child will be will be the next heir to the throne and do you think that's um, do you think that's why we'll come to it later and talk about it in more detail but that's very interesting because I've not heard that but do you think that that might be why Tyrion was sort of outside John and Danny's door while they're like having sex <laughs> He, he seemed very concerned. It was really weird. He that, did seem very concerned. Great, do you know what? I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't make that connection because all I thought about that scene was that's fucking weird. Yeah. Why is Tyrion? I having, thought that was weird. Was, yeah, <laughs> weird, right? But but like, but now with that with that knowledge, that makes much more sense. If he's if he's promised Cersei and he believes Danny can't have children, and then he sees John and Danny having sex, <clears> he might genuinely be concerned that you know that there's something might be happening there and, and <clears throat> that's really good guys yeah, I, I mean it's tenuous but I like it the next scene is John and Danny and Dragon Pit discussing how Danny understands why John said what he said and they have a quite intimate moment with each other where Danny you know says that she can't have kids again so we're getting this constant reinforcement that yeah hey I, I, I there is no line of succession I can't have children and then John kind of says something that maybe we've all been thinking <laughs> which is like which is like maybe Miriam has doors just chatting shit and you actually can have kids. Yeah. Like, you know... Have you ever thought that maybe she weren't the most reliable of sources? <laughs> <laughs> he's Scottish so now, clunky. isn't he? Okay. Personally, I, I know I've put in my notes that he's, he's, he wants to test out that theory. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's like, Go on, how sure are you that you can't have kids? <laughs> you know, and then he just, she just sort of looks at him for about literally about 10, 10 15 seconds. She's like, right, okay, this definitely happened in this episode. Yeah. Um, but Cersei comes back in uh, with Tyrion um, and she agrees a truce. Everyone's amazed. Like, mm. what? And she doesn't only does she agree a truce, she says, call the banners, we're going up north, we're going to fight the army of the dead with you. And everyone was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I was just sitting there going, I literally do not buy this for a second. Yeah. But 
at the time it was like could you imagine if she actually did do that that'd be well, that'd actually be very helpful thank you very much Cersei <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's too polite that's too polite yeah thanks very much so honestly I don't know maybe I'm obviously very naive I completely bought it at the time I was like no way I understand why she would do that but like it didn't make sense to me I was like that's that's such a ridiculous character change like what's happened here um and I thought somebody's going to explain to me why she's made this call. Yeah. So um, given later events, I'm kind of, uh, I'm relieved at the later events in a sense, even though it's um, bad. But it, you know what I mean? Like it, it was good. It's good that she is actually still being Cersei that we know. As I said earlier, in the book, Cersei is a point of view character. The books are written from a point of view character perspective so you always have the chapter is called Cersei or the chapter is called Tyrion and you're inside their head and you know what they're thinking and you know you just know a bit more about the characters basically and their motivations and when Cersei enters the books on about I think it's Feast for Crows she enters the books and we finally get a perspective you're like whoa I'm reading a Cersei chapter and because you've had Jamie in the previous books and you've had other characters who you suddenly jump in their head and you realise wait a minute this guy ain't so bad <laughs> you know there's there's some elements of him which I kind of like <laughs> you get to see all of their motivations and their internal thoughts and that's the whole thing about the whole series is that very rarely is there anybody that is like it's it's never black and white it's always shades of grey yeah. and um, there isn't good versus evil everybody has their own reasons for yes. doing things everyone's got um, the, everyone's got the capacity to be good and bad and and the thing is when you jump into that Cersei chapter in Feast of Crows you're like no she's generally just a psychopath she's just absolutely crazy she got her love for her children that is the thing that drives her but it literally drives her to the point of insanity to the point of murdering loads of people wanting everyone else dead so so for me watching it as a, as a as a as a show watcher and a book reader I was like I do not buy this for a second because she would never if it's not about her having absolute power and the future of her lineage she does not care she she would rather the whole world burn than someone else sit on the iron throne for example that so that's why I could never buy her sending these tro- troops up north personally. No, I agree. I do think though, I mean, obviously we know that she was never intending on keeping that promise anyway um, from what happens further on, but we really can't discount the fact of like how much she puts the life of her children above anything else and the fact that she is pregnant and with regards to what the White was doing um, and everything, I think that that really did come into her consideration when she was having all of these conversations and making these decisions and perhaps like, because I, I did believe her in the first instance that she was actually making that promise and it was because of the fact that she's trying to think of the child that she's going to have and what kind of world that they're going to be able to live in. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed the fact that I personally felt that I don't, and I think a lot of us did, that we don't believe that Cersei is actually pregnant. Now, mainly because of Maggie the Frog's prophecy that she will only ever have three children um, and they will all die. I've changed my stance. I think she genuinely is pregnant. I don't think this baby will ever be born. I agree. Um, but <clears throat> my stance has changed. I think she is definitely pregnant. I, I mean, Tyrion's a smart think- guy. The way she's doing, she looked, I don't know if anyone noticed, I think genuinely she looks like she's got a little bump. I don't know what anyone yeah. else thinks yeah, about that. Yeah. She yeah. is holding it a lot. She's holding it a lot. And and <laughs> and if, and then we'll come on to it later, but if she was trying to manipulate Jamie, she wouldn't let him walk out like that later on. So... She, she is pregnant, but I just think that's such a weird turn. I mean, I, I don't think it will happen in the books, but if it does, that's just amazing. I mean, mm. I think as much as I hate to describe an unborn baby like this, it's a plot device, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, because one of the biggest themes in well, this. Hopefully, they'll come up with a better name. No. <laughs> plot device Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> PD Lannister. PD. Yeah. <laughs> the Winterfell scenes, finally, we got the payoff that we sort of hoped we were getting and we've been talking about called completely we called it a couple weeks ago and i'm Mm -hmm. happy that it's actually come to fruition because i feel if it didn't happen wow that's some bad storytelling Mm. like it was it was going to be phenomenally bad yeah but um so first of all sansa gets a raven from john saying because now after he's obviously said it in the dragon pit they thought actually good point but should probably send some ravens out and say that i bent the knee to danny so um 
she gets a, she gets a raven saying that John has just you know essentially given up the north to Queen Daenerys if they win the war essentially is what he's going for so he's going to fight for Danny. Um, and she's having a meeting with Littlefinger saying, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And Littlefinger's trying to manipulate her into what he wants her to do, obviously. Mm. Um, so, Luce, what did you reckon to that scene? I thought there was quite an interesting parallel with the, um, I like to play a game sometimes, yes. which is what Arya said to her yes. last week. Mm. Um, and I think she played, Sansa herself played the game very well of... Mm basically revealing exactly what Littlefinger's plan is. Yes. Can she not tell by his face how fucking scheming he is? Just his little raised eyebrow. But yeah, I like that parallel. When he first said, sometimes I like to play a game, I was like, that's not going to be the game of faces as well, is Mm. it? Like, everyone's playing this game. But I did, I enjoyed that scene. And because you never know, and I did, I think we discussed it previously, that storyline, like, if it didn't end up the way it did, it would have been, horrendous but you yes. don't never know whether or not it will so i did think if she's buying this then this is she's an absolute melt after everything she's been through and absolute she's still getting played by him. i don't know if anyone else was thinking this but when you said that it was like a game that Arya plays for literally as soon as she's as soon as he said those words i like to play this little game i was like you think oh my god Arya's already yeah Arya's already killed Littlefinger, and she's yeah, taken his face and she's <laughs> testing sansa and i was like whoa yeah. that would be I mean, that'd be dark, but yeah. But then he would have died off screen, which would have been yes. really annoying. So yes. yeah, I, I thought that and I thought, well, he would have been dead off screen, so that better not be it. But yeah, testing Sansa, like where her true allegiance is. I've been pretty harsh about Sansa over the last... You hate this, her. ...this entire podcast. Um, I genuinely believed, right up until the point that scene, that later scene turned, mm. that she was an idiot mm. and she'd been totally fooled by Littlefinger. Yeah. And I was so overjoyed and proud and almost the point of cheering but very quietly early in the morning mm-hmm. um, to finally realise that she's not an idiot ah and, I mean if we move on to the scene now in the Great Hall where she summons Arya there um, oh. and you have just you have the basically the Knights of the Vale and some Stark men inside the hall surrounding the table and you've got uh, Sansa and Bran sitting at the head of the table they call Arya in under calls of potential treason and murder. And it's so tense. And and, and this is the point where you're like, please let this be no, a double don't blood. Be an idiot. You- uh, I think I think at the point where you see Bran sitting there, yes. you've got to be like, yeah. Yeah. You've well, got to- oh yeah, they know what's happening. Here. Yeah. So so I just thought that the way that scene turned from being you're like, come on, please be a double bluff, please double bluff. And they go Peter Baelish, Lord Baelish, sorry, you're under the cause of treason and murder. It was so reminiscent of um, Ned Ned in season one when he goes into the throne room under the impression, under Littlefinger's, you know, wisdom mm. that he is going to, you know, imprison Cersei and, you know, do the right thing because he was made Lord Protector of the Realm yeah. in season one. Yeah. And then Littlefinger turns on him. There's always men either side and Littlefinger turns on him puts a knife to the throat. I thought this scene was an absolute comeuppance for Littlefinger. It's exactly the same thing, but in Winterfell, in the home of the Starks, many the side, like legions of men, loyal to the Starks this time, not to him because of money and the way he manipulates people. And then he eventually obviously gets killed by the knife to the throat when he puts the knife to Ned's throat in Mm. season one I thought it was an amazing parallel and closing scene and I I could easily see George writing this very similar George first name terms Georgie when old mate he he probably has the same thing that happened where uh, um, Bran regurgitates the line from that moment yes 100% all over the table just, just in case you didn't get any parallels then like they it's literally the line from yeah. when Littlefinger screws Ned over but, but John John, what did, what did you reckon to that whole scene because I know that you like me were very are very critical of those Sansa Stark sisters scenes very critical of them but, well, but, uh, yeah I mean glad to see the back of it yeah uh, I mean they have strung that out massively yeah um, is it is it good if it's predictable um, yes if it's done well I think it's still done really well. It's done really well, like like to the point of satisfaction, like ultimate satisfaction. No, the red wedding. 
Yeah. I, like, I read that. I was devastated. But yeah. I was amazed because I did not see it coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, again, let's hop back to our first podcast. Mm. When he was talking about, uh, when Brown was talking about that dragon glass dagger. The cat's ball. Specifically. The cat's ball yeah, dagger. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I specifically said there and then, that dagger is going to be used to kill him. And yeah. It's going to get played. And, yeah. And it, and it, it went exactly that way. Um, that that to me, if it, if it's that predictable and you mm, see it that early mm, in, in that way, mm, I don't think that's really did, good. I'm not. I'm not saying that it can't be. I'm just saying that is my opinion. I also wonder if we see this in the books, whether we would see the rest of those conversations yeah. between Sansa and Arya that happen off screen well, would mm. change it. Because I don't disagree. I mean, I think the scene in isolation was fantastic. Mm. The, the payoff was sweet. And what I'm watching him beg for his life. Uh, and again, like, if you hearken back to, I told you not to trust me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, fuck you, Yes, man. fuck yeah, you, Littlefinger. Fuck you. And Lucy, I know you particularly love that scene. I loved it. I do agree that a lot of the build-up was baffling and boring, but I, I thought the scene, I just loved it. Um, I bought into it completely. Um, so... For people, I think this is quite a, a big thing that obviously is mentioned in this scene, and I know we touched on it briefly, but the fact that Sansa reads out Littlefinger's list of crimes, which are probably even more than what she's read out, mm. but the big one that I think that might go under the radar, and I do think the show, even when it first revealed it in like season four, really undersold it, was the yeah. fact that Littlefinger is actually behind essentially the start of all this chaos that ensued with the Starks and the Lannisters. Yeah. He mm. he was the... So John Aaron was hand of Robert Baratheon and he was murdered. And that is why, that is why the king travelled up north to Winterfell in season one, episode one, and asked Ned to go south and be hand of the king, which essentially, you know, if you go for a chain effect of what events is, is is what started everything. And, and then Littlefinger and Liza Aaron who is Catelyn's sister, also sent a raven to Ned and Catelyn saying that that Lisa, Liza Aaron believed that John Aaron was murdered by poison, mm. which then started this whole suspicion, which is why Catelyn eventually captures Tyrion and then starts the war between the Lannisters and the Starks, which then turns into the War of the Five Kings, which then escalates into this chaos that we've got now. So Littlefinger, he is the reason why this whole thing started. So it's a big deal. It's a massive deal. When you read that in the books, you're like, oh my God, you cannot believe how far this man's deceit has gone. Yeah, I mean, I think people have a general like consciousness of Littlefinger started everything, but maybe not knowing exactly how or why. Yeah. So a little bit of a refresher there from Sansa, I think. Ah, very, very important. And this man, does, you know, we all like Littlefinger in some respects because we understand how manipulative he is, but... His death was so satisfying. Like Arya was brutal. So, John, Danny, Jorah, and the sort of Targaryen Stark War Council around the painted table in Dragonstone. Love the way they also just got back there instantly. They've just given mm-hmm. up on travel again, as we as we know. Oh my god, it's the it, ridiculous in this episode. I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Dragonstone and King's Landing are literally very close to each other. So, I mean, this is the one time I'll let it go. But, you know, it is getting silly. Well, at least go a lot. We're going to leave now. Yeah. Have a seat, Ben. Well, how long does it take? About 10 minutes. 10 minutes. <laughs> one month later. Um, so they're around the painted table. They're talking about how they're going to move all of Danny's forces up north, which I think is pretty cool now that we're finally sort of getting this mobilisation of troops. <laughs> Uh, you know, to, to do something yeah, decent, yeah. like up north, yeah. like, that's pretty cool. Imagine, like, all those soldiers at Winterfell. Yeah. That would be wicked. Yeah. If Winterfell's still there by the time they get there, oh. which we'll come on to yeah. later. Oh, yeah. But um, Michelle, what do you reckon to the fact that uh, Jorah just completely tried to cock block John? <laughs> I think my favourite thing was his expression when Danny's like, "Well, actually, uh, oh shit, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's happened again. Yeah, I've not succeeded. Yeah, um, I would rather get a boat, as it were, with Jorah than John. Mm. Well, hold on. Right. Yes, yeah. I agree. You know, well, you know, he's infected. Like, okay, fine, it's cleared that's up. That's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? He's absolutely fine, isn't he? Like, within a few minutes, it all got chipped off, and not, nothing was ever said about it again. So yeah, I think he's fine. Will Scar, Get in yeah. the boat. I thought that Theon and Jon uh, had this really nice scene together in the Dragonstone throne room. 
the Greyjoy Redemption. The Greyjoy, scene. oh, the Greyjoy and Stark Redemption scene. Absolutely, yeah, the Stark um, Greyjoy Redemption scene. Okay, and Gaz, take it away. What did you think about? Um, what did you think about that scene between Theon, Theon and John? It has been a long time coming, I think, and I think <laughs> what we see from it is that it kind of gives gives Theon the um, the the boost like the confidence boost that he needs to go and do what he has to do um and it obviously meant a lot to him getting forgiven i guess one thing though that i think um is even more important than the theon arc which i love like that was brilliant but even more important than that was Jon snow saying you know you don't have to choose between being a gray joy on this occasion and a stark mm. you can be both what it is is some foreshadowing for Jon Snow. So Jon won't have to choose between being a Stark and a Targaryen. He's both. Yeah. Targaryen. Yeah, so the- Theon was obviously... The- we-, we said last week that apart from maybe the Hound, Theon has definitely had the most of an arc. Now, why do you think they're spending so much time on Theon's story? We know we've only got six episodes left in total, which... They... King of the North, that's why. <laughs> what, you think? Theon's going to be King oh, of the North. Yeah, sake. Defo. It could be Defo. Defo. I definitely wouldn't see that coming. I mean, why do you guys think, I mean, someone jump in here, but why do you think that they're spending so much time on Theon's storyline? I think it's something to do with what Euron did. Um, so yep. there's a lot to do with the yep. Greyjoys. Their story hasn't finished yet. Um, I do wonder what the end goal is. Probably killing Euron somehow. I don't know how. Mm. He survived all of these traumas and all of these yeah, things. Exactly. He's got something to do. Whether they need, I don't know what you guys think, maybe the Iron Fleet for something. If he could free Yara, kill Euron, they could use the Iron Fleet for some sort of battle or to maybe get people away from Westeros and get them to Essos, take them somewhere else in case the war goes tits up. We go to the scene uh, where Jamie's trying to plan how the troops, he's going to send the Lannister forces up north to help, to help everybody. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, they're actually sending troops up north. I I was like, Cersei was telling the truth. Then Cersei walks in literally 20 seconds later and ruins it and goes, you don't actually think we're sending people up north, do you? Um, like, yeah. And what do you what do you and <laughs> what do you think about that? What do you think about Cersei revealing to Jamie the whole double cross essentially? Um, a bit like Gareth was saying earlier. Up until that point, I didn't really believe. Or I believed her. I didn't think that she was double crossing, and I really mm. thought that she turned a bizarre and now inexplicable corner. Um, there are so many scenes happening in this season between Cersei and Jamie that are just splitting them further and further and further apart in terms of their drives and their personalities. She She's literally only focused on one thing, and that is her lineage. Um, Jamie's trying to look at the bigger picture. He, in the books, Jamie, Jamie has a lot more honour in the books. He is someone who dismisses Cersei, but like two seasons ago, he would have dismissed Cersei in the books. He's already sort of dismissed himself from Cersei. I think um, he's starting to do that now, though, which yeah. is why I say oh. about you know him becoming, this, I said this last week, the Jamie that we know and love the, from the novels. This scene with Cersei was the most Jamie I've seen Jamie since he was in a bath with mm. Brienne. Mm. Seriously, yeah. yeah. This was this, this was, was Jamie. Jamie arriving in season seven, whatever. In what season we in? Seven. Um, it like this was this was this was the moment that finally that character um, matched up with the one that yeah. The, and I think because of Brienne. Yeah, coming yeah. back and reminding well, him and of all of those things of, that matter. Because Brienne in yeah. the books as well. Yeah, um, so she she's got a huge she's a huge influence. Yeah. Was anyone else here genuinely scared that Jamie might die? Because honestly, yeah, honestly, yeah, I, I for the first time, yes. more so than the river I dropping, sick. I thought he was going to go. Yeah. Especially when the I sword thought the mountain was going to cut him in two. Oh my god! Literally, when he like he unsheathed his sword. He was like, you wouldn't dare, whatever it was he said. And I, I genuinely thought he was going to go. And I was like, I can't deal with it, but it was fine. I was with you. I was with you 100%. I, um, I, I didn't know what Cersei's little nod meant. I didn't know whether that meant, like, yeah. fine, fuck off, or, yeah, okay, <laughs> go on, do it, kill him. Despite his death, Cersei's still very much trying to impress her father. 
Yeah. I think she's trying to become her father. And in her own way, she thinks she's smarter than Tywin, which I think is sad. Mm. I think that's very sad. <laughs> it's sad, man. Because she's not. Because she's sad. nowhere no. near as clever as Tywin. No. I mean, nope. Tywin is a. To be fair, there are points of this plot, like Cersei <clears throat> le- letting them wipe each other out and then she mops up. That is very Tywin. I have to say that mm. for once, this plan of hers to not support and, and say she's going to do that and then not do it is very Tywin. He would put the success of his house over everything. Ned's been mentioned a lot in this episode. Tywin's been mentioned a lot in this episode. Mm. Uh, they're, they're harking back to these stalwart figures who essentially, you know, educated these young, this younger generation and, and they're still looking up to them in a way that is, is influencing their lives. And I suppose it goes back to the conversation we had last week about breaking the wheel. Yes. You know, and about not you know following in the footsteps of our fathers kind of thing yeah um and the mistake that danny could well make and so could john well further to that as well actually even if we hark back to the earlier scene where they're in the dragon pit where danny is talking about why the dragons became smaller and the mistakes that they made as targaryens yeah Yeah. um it's massively the whole theme of this show seems to be resting upon what history has taught the children the golden company we said a couple of episodes ago that um when they were mentioned in the spoils of was it Spoils of War episodes? Um, that that we didn't think they would actually be coming over <clears throat> to Westeros. They wouldn't be involved. We would never see them. But it sounds like they're on their way. No, I still... I don't think we're going to see them. So for anyone who doesn't know, the Golden Company are a band of mercenaries uh, founded after the a, a thing called the Blackfire Rebellion which was a, a section of Targaryens revolting against a, another section of the, the official crown of the Targaryens. It meant that a lot of soldiers who fought for the, the side that eventually lost fled to Essos and started this thing called the Golden Company. And they are the best band of mercenary <laughs> sort of warriors that you can buy. So yeah. they're coming, apparently. I mean, they, they've mentioned them twice. They said they're on their way. No chance. I think we said the first time it was a nod to book readers to bring it up. We were talking about this earlier before we started recording, and I think bringing them into the storyline opens up too many ridiculous possibilities of what they could bring into the storyline. Anything could happen in between her saying that and the next series, though. Like, you're on ships get burned before he even gets there. Like, don't. Imagine that. No. Lazy. (laughs) Maybe this is what. Theon. Theon is there for. Yeah, maybe Theon stops the fleet going across in the first place. I mean. Um, stops that plot line mm. I mean I, I don't know what you guys think does anyone else think that Cersei wouldn't make it past this season I didn't think she was going to survive I thought mm, she was a god this season I hope Jamie would kill her but I didn't think enough had happened between them because she like he, she was sucking him off a few episodes ago so I did think literally there's not enough happened yeah quite literally for her, him <laughs> to do it Jamie leaving uh, was the best thing that could have ever happened. Mm. I, I was that, that's my favourite moment of this whole episode. Yeah. Literally, was Jamie. The music was amazing. He leaves, and then you see him. And this scene, I, I thought, and this scene was honestly, it was only like a minute long or something, but it was it was beautiful. He was leaving, riding up north, and he noticed snow, yeah. and then yeah. the snow started falling. It was this haunting, really haunting piece of music that. Reason. when Jamie was leaving uh, King's Landing and, and the snow was falling on King's Landing and we know in the books that King's Landing even in winter time doesn't really ever get snow it never snows in dawn apparently but King's Landing is quite close mm. to dawn and it, it very very rarely gets snow so you, you kind of get the impression this is, a, is it, you know winter is here yeah. you know we, we, it has come it's come for everyone and there was that amazing shot of the uh, the map sort of printed out in the courtyard and all the snow was just falling over it which is like yeah. yeah winter's coming for everyone it's not just it's not just the north you know this is gonna this is gonna come for everybody mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that was a really mm-hmm. really lovely little scene yeah you know there's always that question about whether the um ah, now that I'm about to say it, it does sound stupid but I'm gonna say it anyway Nonsense. whether they, they say is it the is it the cold that brings the White Walkers? Yes. Or is it the White Walkers that bring the cold? Yeah. And, Ooh, gas. You know, a White Walkers just a White's just appeared in um, King's Landing, and then very shortly afterwards, the snows arrived. Ooh. So mm, that is a good point. That's interesting. So the White Walkers definitely bring the cold. We know that. We know that for a fact that they that they 
literally bring a massive sort of misty snowstorm with them everywhere they go. That's how they move. They, they bring it with them. You see it in this episode again at the end of the episode. Um, but winter is this periodical event that does happen. Some winters are better than others and some are very short. And we know that we've got, you know, mentions of lo- the long night, which was the one with the white walkers came before, which hasn't happened for about 10,000 years. Mm. But most other winters last for years, some decades. I feel like everything has some kind of hidden message, though. And if that was the hidden message, I don't know what it is. Is yeah. the hidden message just don't do anything? You're better off not doing what stuff. Did, what did Tyrion say to Danny before she left with the dragon? Sometimes doing nothing is the best thing. Mm. And what did she Very do? She said, point. and she said, I listened to you last time. I did nothing. This time I'm doing something. Yeah. Uh, and look, you know, that's <clears throat> if this comes to fruition, we'll, we'll come to it later when we talk about the dragon, but. I don't think they would have broken the wall and all this stuff. You know, it wouldn't have happened. So Tyrion, Tyrion's completely justified, you know. But if John turns out to be the prince that was promised, which we all think he is, then maybe saving him wasn't such a bad idea. Sam Samuel Tarly's fast travel to Winterfell. He's clicked the pause button, gone fast travel. He's up at Winterfell already. His conversation with Bran is very good. Forced. I For- thought it was forced. The very was good. Like- I've got to get all this stuff out quickly, and um, I'm glad they did. But it, don't you think it wasn't? It wasn't really the most natural, was it? Like, no. He was like, <laughs> I don't know the whole. So his real name is John Sand. Yeah, that no, was it's a bit not shit. Actually, it's John. It's he's actually a Targaryen. That was, was a bit like, shit. Yeah, what the fuck? Like, but they should have just had Bran say, "Yeah, they got married because I can see everything," rather than. Mm. Like Sam, who wasn't listening to Gilly, go, oh, yeah. actually, that rings a bell. Prince Ragar getting married. Like, that was a bit <laughs> silly. But is there any way you could go back and check? Okay, one minute. One minute. Yeah, they did get married. Like, that bit was a yeah, bit that, silly. That was awful, yeah. Well, but, but we had a theory. I think we were talking about it earlier. <clears throat> Michelle brought it up. And said that um, what was it that he might not be able to? Yeah, he can he can see everything, but he only sees what he knows he should be looking for. Agreed. So um, and also then this opens it up for things Thank to be know. able to deceive. Shut up! <laughs> for things to be able to deceive him in the future, because um, he doesn't know so he's supposed to be looking case. for it. Say if again. That's the case. Yeah. What tells him that he should be looking for? Um, like all the little finger stuff. Or oh, the dagger. He you... gave him the dagger. Mm. But the moment little finger goes to see Bran, he and he gives yeah. him the dagger and he says, Do you know who used to own this back a couple of episodes ago? Mm. The moment Bran touches these artifacts or gets these hints, he can just go instantly like that and look at stuff. Well, and he would have seen that dagger is central to the reason that Bran knew that little finger put it to Ned's throat and said, I told you not to trust me. Mm. You know, if, yeah, okay. if maybe if Littlefinger hadn't gone up to Bran and given him that dagger, he would not have seen that information. I think the interesting thing about this scene is the way it then merges into mm. the scene between John and Danny, yeah. which we clearly knew was just, coming. Knew yeah. was coming, and with that revelation—it's just cutting back and forth between you know Sam and Bran being a little bit shocked about this mm. revelation actually being John true. John Snow's bum. Yeah. And John Snow's bum, yeah. So, John, John and Danny obviously finally have sex this episode. Ooh. Uh, which we knew was coming. We now finally have confirmation that Jon Snow is the heir to the Iron Throne. He is essentially, he's got more say than Danny. Aegon Targaryen. Aegon Targaryen. Now... I don't think the show's ever mentioned a name maybe more than once, but Rhaegar, who is this, you know, legendary Targaryen, who is now Jon's father, had another son before Jon that was called Aegon. Why would he call two kids Aegon? That doesn't make any yeah. sense. Like that's just that's just weird. But maybe maybe that won't be the case in the books, but yeah, maybe agreed. the name Aegon is more um is it possibly more significant to TV viewers Agreed. for some reason. I think, I think that's yeah. what they've gone for, to, to say that he is the... They, they know Aegon conquered Westeros maybe 300 years ago, so if they give Jon this big name, like, he's got to live up to it, and maybe that's why they've just called him that. And then and then maybe in the book he'll be called Aemon. Or Jaehaerys, which a lot of people Jaehaerys, have rumours. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Jaehaerys. And there's strong rumours that his name is actually Jaehaerys Targaryen. And also, I don't know if they've ever referred to... Rhaegar's other son, Aegon. They said that he was killed. They said explicitly yeah. he was killed by the mountain. 
several times, but I don't know if they ever mentioned his name. I don't think they have, which yeah. would make more sense. Yeah. I mean, even if they did, it would be so fleeting that people probably wouldn't remember because it no. would literally be like one line in 60 hours of television. So they probably wouldn't remember such a thing. Yeah. So the next the next scene um, was the Stark sisters standing on like the parapets of Winterfell and they're talking about what they just did to Littlefinger and how, you know, they need to stick together in these times and, and sort of the pack, not the lone wolf. Lucy, what do you think about that? I think that phrase, that well, that little mantra was mentioned, I think, in the trailers for this series. Yeah. And I did wonder when it was going to come in, if ever. And it was set, it was used almost in a threatening way that maybe the Starks were going to disband because you've seen conflict between Sansa and John and Sansa and Arya. Um, but it was nice to have it said, as in we're all reunited. John's not here, but that's fine. But Creepy Bran, Arya, Sansa, back together, solid, got rid of Littlefinger, who was really the only person that could sort of believably tear them apart yeah I thought it was a nice scene and again mentioning Ned who I think we all miss yeah. I know we're not related to him and we he doesn't do. exist but I think we all miss him and I, I thought it was a nice scene after all the sort of crap that's gone on between them so it was quite a calming scene and you know watching the snowfall yes portentous of things to come I think and and that theme of Ned back here again with the Stark sisters that I think they have a very mm. nice line like they, they say oh you know father father said this line about the, the pack survives the lone, yeah. wolf, the lone wolf dies and then they, then Arya very tenderly because she's obviously lost a lot of emotion as a character she's, she said I miss him and then yeah. Sansa says me too like you know they all of the Stark children be it even Theon in this episode you know has memories of Ned and and what yeah. he taught them and mm-hmm. and how to, he was such a good father and i think that it seems even cooler in our eyes now that that he lived with that burden of living a lie saying that john was his bastard for all yeah, those years it's amazing and, and to, protect. It, to protect him i mean how good a role model is ned stark he's so out of place isn't he in that world where yeah. like yeah. everybody just seems to be a dick to their kids like why is everyone so mean to their offspring? Um, it's like he he manages to get the balance perfect, you know, tender, loving father, mm. but also teaches them how to survive in the hard mm. north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Can you imagine everyone's horror when it's Ned's head that's actually on the oh, mountain's no. body? <laughs> <laughs> Bran is in the where at the Weirwood Tree in Winterfell, and he uses his raven power to go uh, to the wall with some ravens. <laughs> raven power. It's raven power. Jesus, that's what it is now. He goes north. He goes to the wall, and you have a scene with Tormund Beric chatting just bollocks about heights or something. Oh, it's and cold, isn't it? It's cold. Yeah. Yes, it's very cold. You see the army of the dead approaching from the trees. Um, Beep. We all knew the wall was coming down. We all knew the wall was coming down. When this happened, it was, that's it. The wall is coming down. Um, what did everyone think about the undead dragon? I'll, I'll leave it oh, open. Okay. People talk about it. Let's go. It was good. What do we think the dragon's breathing? Because we all said last week, we were like, okay, we think they're not going to miss up the opportunity to make it breathe ice. Mm. It's clearly not fire, but it but might, it's, it's some sort of magic blue ice stuff fire. I don't think so I mean it's well it's just ice fire no no no, no. Yeah. I, think, I think it's just fire at a much blue. higher temperature I guess yeah, yeah I agree well something that's worth noting is that I don't think I don't think he needs to like recharge his flame that's like, what I was thinking in. yeah yeah so he just kind of goes and it's like this constant like like for as long as he wants it yeah spot on <laughs> have you just played the episode again <laughs> good noise so did anyone notice that the dragon seemed to be absolutely rapid like as yes. in like compared to the other dragons yeah. who move yeah. quite slowly like it seemed plane. like it was on steroids or something it was moving like mm-hmm. it was nuts Very was a do you reckon do you reckon they don't have to worry about like they don't feel tired and stuff yeah. is that why he's yeah, yeah. around like a lunatic well yeah I mean uh, but they say that about the others anyway don't they like you know they don't they don't tire 
No. They don't scare. No. They're dead. They don't <laughs> linger. They're just machines, aren't they? Yeah. Apart from if there's uh, a bit of ice that might... Get in their <laughs> way. They'll just stand there for a couple of days. <laughs> um, yeah. Until, until they're 100% sure that the ice is frozen over. Yeah. <laughs> so the wall comes down. Everyone sort of was thinking, is Tormund and Beric dead? But I think they're alive. I think they survived on really? the. Well, uh, no, they're alive. No, but I think. Oh, 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 oh. I don't know. Let's we don't know. Let's take, okay, take let's take a vote. vote. I think I. I think that Tom and Beric alive. John. Yes. Michelle. Dead. They will die from this wall coming down, but on screen, I think. Okay, Gaz. Uh, I think they're undoubtedly alive. And M. Alive. They're, they're probably on the bit of the wall that's still, like up. If you get what I mean, yeah, there was, they, they there ran were, across. There were bits that were up, yeah. but still. So it's a bit weird. And they've got to get back to Winterfell now and sort of uh, warn the troops. I mean, I'm hopefully Bran would do that because, you know, that's his job. Mm. So do we think that Danny taking her dragons north was the stupidest thing she's ever done? No. In hindsight. Hindsight. Not... not Oh, hindsight. In hindsight, yeah. do you think this is the stupid thing she's ever done? Yes. Tyr- and we mentioned it earlier, Tyrion warned her, sometimes doing nothing is the right thing. So, so I think them going to get a white was the stupidest thing that yes, anyone's yeah, ever agreed. done. Agreed. Yeah. She only went also, up there Tyrion's because advice. they went up there. Yeah, once again, Tyrion's and if you've advice. you've taken a white yeah. to Cersei, Cersei's going to double-cross you. What's been gained? Nothing. We've lost a dragon. They've gained a dragon. The walls come down. Mm. Jon yeah. Snow, you know nothing. I don't I don't think at that point I don't think Daenerys could have done nothing um, no she, she, she was, had, her hand was forced really I'm very excited for next season but we're not finished yet because next week we are going to do a wrap up podcast where we go through what we think worked well yeah. and what we think didn't work well this season um, oh. Gonna be vicious. It's gonna be vicious, and we're gonna have a week to go on Reddit and check out some crazy theories. (laughs) (laughs) And we're gonna come back with a lot of things that we think might still happen, and some prophecies that have been fulfilled, and some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled. So I'd like to thank Michelle, John, Emma, Lucy, all the way down in Thanet, and Gaz in Australia. (laughs) I'd like to thank you all for being with us, and we'll we we will see you next week where we'll come up with more theories that aren't just Cadenbo. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do.